Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Well, hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Mark Graben, and we're joined today by Michael Parent. He is a managing director of Right Brain Consulting. He's a Lean Six Sigma black belt at AAA Auto Club Group. Michael, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Mark. And I, I think this is the, well, I've run across a couple other times in the lean world, actually. Uh, we share a hometown. That's right. Livonia, Livonia Michigan. Livonia, Michigan, um, in the uh, Detroit suburbs. Michael and I were chatting before uh, the podcast, of, you know, where do you live? And we quickly zeroed in on, we, we grew up, what, three miles from each other. Yeah, real close, or, real close. Or I should say the place I grew up was three miles away from the place where you later grew up. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, a little bit and, and some time in between. <laughs> we won't go into that. I, uh, I won't hold your uh, youth against you. No, I'm kidding. I was, the, I was an old uh, Ronald Reagan. I'm, see, I'm dating myself. Yeah. Ronald Reagan debate line. So anyway, moving on uh, from that. So uh, yeah. there's something in the water in uh, Livonia, Michigan. We, we did go to the rival high schools, though. Yeah, we got paved roads now, too. <laughs> yeah, I went to the one the one room schoolhouse that they later moved to. Uh, what was that? What's that historical village called? Green Eater. Yeah, yeah. So, so with <laughs> that behind us, we're going to talk about Lean and Six Sigma. We're going to talk about um, a case study and some work that Michael has done uh, in the HR realm. But Michael. Um, can you introduce yourself and um, you know tell us about your background? How did you get introduced to Lean and Six Sigma? Sure. Yeah. So like we were talking about beforehand, I went down the road to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I got an engineering degree at the College of Engineering there in industrial and operations engineering. Um, kind of always something I wanted to do. I wanted to get into engineering management. Um, I wanted to get into manufacturing. And that's what I did right out of college. Um, I was working in a couple different manufacturing facilities, different companies. Um, I ended up working for Bridgestone Firestone. Um, Bridgestone is a very traditional, very, very traditional Japanese company. Uh, and because of that culture, they had a really good lean training program, Six Sigma program. Um, so I kind of cut my teeth in manufacturing with a lot of the lean and, and Six Sigma stuff in a very good culture that was conducive to that. Um, worked on just about every type of industrial engineering project in manufacturing, material flow, cycle times, you know, quality, all that sort of stuff. So while I was in manufacturing, uh, I got a degree from the College of William and Mary, got an MBA. Um, and what that exposed me to was just a little bit different stuff in the business, stuff I wasn't seeing in the manufacturing realm um, and stuff I wanted to get my hands on. So consciously after I graduated, I was looking for opportunities to really use the Lean Six Sigma frameworks, tools, whatever you want to call it, um, but applied to more business processes, something more centralized. Uh, and I was fortunate enough when I was looking to find something uh, back in my home state of, uh, of Michigan, and I'm working now for Auto Club Group, which does business as AAA or the AAA brand. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, so let's kind of go back a little bit. Um, University of Michigan, great industrial engineering um, department. Um, Mike Rother, Jeff Liker, yep. who recently retired from the university. Uh, Wally Hopp, did you have a, a chance to 
I didn't know. Taking classes with them? Or? Uh, uh, nope, nope. Uh, Laker retired maybe like the year or two before I, I started getting there. So I missed yeah. him. Yeah. And then um, Wally Hopp um, had been at Northwestern previously when I was doing my undergrad in industrial engineering. Um, but I want to talk more about your time at Bridgestone because that's I don't think that's a company that's come up at all in the podcast before. So I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on uh, what you were describing as, um, if you will, a typical Japanese company or what were some of the lessons that you learned there that you've been able to carry forward? Oh, it's uh, the culture was everything um, at Bridgestone. You know, if, if anybody's ever worked at a Japanese company, they know what I'm talking about. There's very few offices. Um, cubicles are very short. Um, it's very conducive to going out and gambaying. Um, it's it's very lean and, and especially in, in kind of those fundamentals of lean. When you think about 5S, um, you know, we, we had 6S too, safety as well. Um, so one piece flow, really, it was, it was a great opportunity to see in real time what I was learning and in, in reading, you know, Gemba Kaizen or going to any of the, uh, the trainings that I had. So, um, you know, they, they do a fantastic job of training you. They do a fantastic job of, um, you know, walking the talk as well. Mm -hmm. So then let's talk about the project, you know, the, the case study that you had sent me, and this was published. We'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. I six Sigma.com. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Um, so related to, um, you know, HR talent acquisition, um, what initiated that project and how, how did you get pulled into that? Yeah. So, um, I'll say my, my job is, uh, a newly created job within AAA. They didn't, haven't always had a six Sigma black belt walking around. Yeah. Um, what had happened was the auto club group. I don't want to get too much into the structure of uh, AAA as a brand versus uh, other companies. But suffice it to say, there's a lot of different companies that are under the brand of AAA. And the company I was working for was buying them up. Hmm. Um, when you buy them up, you're, you're growing inorganically. And eventually, at some point, you've got to grow organically. You've got to increase efficiencies. You've got to do better at operations. Um, so right before I got into the organization, they kind of reached that inflection point. They had done some sort of restructure um, in organization only where they took all these different regions, be it uh, in Georgia and Tennessee and Nebraska and, and all over the Midwest, and they put them into what they call centers of excellence. Essentially, it's um, HR functions, um, talent acquisition, employee relations. So these regional generalists become specialized in one area. Um, and to that end, I was brought in really to finish that next part of the process is um, okay, we've we've reorganized it from an organizational standpoint. We haven't done anything with our processes. There's no standardization with our processes. Um, so a lot of my role coming into this project um, was looking at almost like a, a consolidation of of many different organizations into one standard. And so you know, if we think of um, standardization or increased standardization as um, a countermeasure. What were some of the, the problems that came up as a result of the different ways of, of doing things? Um, you know, what, what was the goal beyond standardization? What was that intended to accomplish? Yeah, I, I would say at a fundamental level, um, a lot of the divergence was because we didn't have a, a goal per se. 
when you have so many different organizations coming together, it's uh, there's no guarantee that you're all going to share the same priorities. And that's uh, exactly what we ran into. So that was the first part of our, of our um, project that we were working on was establishing what's important to the organization, uh, what KPIs are we looking at. One of the KPIs we identified was time to fill. In the HR world, this is akin to a lead time for, for anything in manufacturing or operations. So um, how long does it take to fill a request to, to fill a role? Um, so to that end, th there's a lot of reasons we did that. It wasn't just an efficiency measure. It's also a very strategic driver. Um, a lot of people are applying to multiple jobs at the same time. And if you can give them an offer quicker than you know your competition, you're more likely to get that highly sought after qualified candidate. So um, it wasn't just root efficiency. There's a lot of strategic thought behind it, but that was kind of the KPI we were driving to. Um, so, so that kind of answers the goal of what it was. Some of the issues we ran into, um, you know, just people doing different things, cultural differences. Um, you know, in one instance, somebody in Tennessee or Georgia, they would pick up the phone and call somebody just to make sure that they wanted to apply for the job. Just very friendly. Um, if you think about the goal as time to fill, it's totally non-value added. If you think about the goal as the candidate experience, that Southern hospitality, I mean, they've got it in spades. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of, you know, uh, reprioritizing people, you know, how people were approaching their job, what they were expected to do. And then there are the, also some, uh, technological differences, people from different systems coming onto a, a similar platform. So you raise, um, you know, maybe brings up a point around standardization or standard work and the, the need or the place for regional variation. Um, yeah. What was, was that, that phone call uh, kept in the, in the name of, um, the, the 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 hiree experience, if you will, or was it was that taken out in the name of uh, efficiency? Uh, it, it was taken out in the name of efficiency, and um, maybe not solely in the name of efficiency. So even in the case study, you'll see one of the KPIs that we identified was um, the the candidate experience. We're not um, you know totally agnostic to the to that experience, um, but from a strategic standpoint, from what's really our priority is getting the right people in there. If we have to take an extra step just to call them and, and see how their day's doing, um, that leaves us at a strategic disadvantage. And um, for that reason, we, we kind of struck it as, as non-value added waste. Mm -hmm. So what was the approach for, for a project like this? It sounds like there were a lot of stakeholders and employees at, at different sites. And what, what was the approach to try to um, you know, figure out how to tackle this? Yeah, so good question. We started with the director. So new director coming in, and like I already mentioned, part of the project was determining what the strategic priority is. Um, that's something we can't um, deploy, you know, Hoshin Connery. That's something we can't deploy unless it starts from the top. Uh, so to that end, we had a lot of detailed conversations, really trying to tease out what was important to the director of, of this new organization. 
once we established that, we kind of did a, a Hoshin Connery, a policy deployment where we um, talked with the managers, got them on board, got them trained up in some of the lean uh, concepts that, that were new and, and being introduced to them. But really, the the meat and potatoes of, of this project is, you know, is supposed to be for all of lean is getting to the subject matter experts. Um, it, it's very easy to do that when you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, like I said, industrial engineering background, MBA, um, <laughs> nothing in HR, mm-hmm. uh, nothing but a couple of uh, organizational behavior classes. So um, to that end, we we really sat down with a lot of the recruiters more from a facilitation mindset or model where we were asking the questions, we were letting them map out their value streams for us. As you mentioned, it happened in a lot of different locations. So, um, you know, rather than writing it on a whiteboard, like uh, sometimes I I do, we used uh, Visio and did the screen sharing. And uh, Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I'm using it a lot more as well in in the COVID-19 stages of things because it allows people to see in real time how you're putting things. And um, something I learned from that as well is put things in the wrong place. Um, get, the, get them engaged by doing things that you know is incorrect because they're gonna shout out at you. And now you've got some, some candid feedback coming back. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you bring up a, a really interesting point. I think a lot of listeners are in the same situation where you're facilitating um, improvement in an area where you, you, you can't be the expert. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, what are some of your other reflections? And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe it's freeing where there, there can't be pressure on you. Um, hey, Michael, uh, we're in a rush. Why don't you just tell them what the answer is? You've got to facilitate and engage, right? Right, right. Yeah. So to that end, um, it, it is freeing, right? Is, is I don't have the answers and we're actually you know, some of the projects I'm working on now, we're building out intake models, um, projects coming in. We're trying to get at that charter stage of things. Uh, people not to think of us as, as project managers or as people who are going to deliver a continuous improvement project, but as more of like a strategic partner coming alongside, we're going to teach you the tools to, to do this, not just one time, not just for one project. We're, certainly we're here to coach you along that. Um, but throughout this project, we're imparting the tools for you um, really t- to do the, the purpose of lean, which is, you know, continual improvement time after time after time. Um, so that's something we're, we're learning along the ways and kind of a, a new organization. Yeah. Um, what, what else do you recall from, you know, initial discussions with the recruiters and trying to get them on board um, with, with this uh, with this, this needed improvement? What, what were some, you know, if you will, change management strategies? Yeah, uh, I, I'll say the recruiters were, were really on board with us. They did not fight us tooth and nail, you know, even the people who um, were doing things differently. Once we understood the priorities, they were, you know, they were pretty amenable to, to how we were working on it. I would say th- the issues that we ran into were probably more with the the managers, kind of their direct superiors. A lot of them did not feel comfortable working in, uh, essentially what we were doing is we were creating an operations management uh, platform for them. And these, these folks have been HR professionals for 10, 15, 20 years. And, you know, we're, we're changing the game on them. So we're, we're, uh, you know, really changing what they're looking at on a day to day, how they're holding people accountable, how we're holding them accountable. 
Um, so, so there was a lot of issues with that. How we tended to solve it was really showing them that we're not giving you anything. We're not pushing this on you. The, the lean concept of pull, right, is we're pulling what you're telling us. All we're doing is giving you the, the structure and the framework to make this work for you. You said you want to execute on these things. We're the subject matter experts on execution. And for that reason, this is what you should do. Now, were there ambitions from any of those leaders to move beyond a project into um, what we might refer to as a lean management system or different ways of managing and continuing to improve? Or were they kind of focused on the project? Um, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, I, I think they they understand the merit of it. I, I think there is um, a genuine, genuine appreciation for these are the principles that are going to help us succeed uh, in the future. I think it's, it's uh, maybe at another level. That's a little bit above me as far as um, those priorities. When, when push comes to shove, what, what you actually prioritize. Um, so that's definitely still in the strategic goal. And um, that's a lot of what the negotiation of, of some of the things I'm working on as well is um, how, how we're, you know, transitioning out of projects into uh, lean management. One of the things that we're trying to do, again, is imparting some of these tools, like I said, in that um, intake model, right, is we're no longer going to try to do a project. We're going to try to impart some of these tools as well. And we're doing uh, some other intensive coaching with with the hiring managers to get them on board doing A3s and, and what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, a, a tough question, I guess. <laughs> uh, not, um, yeah, just trying to understand some of the lay of the land because, yeah, sure. you know, uh, you know, in previous roles or, you know, the last manufacturing job I was in, it was similar. Um, yeah. Um, lack of consistency sometimes around, are, are we doing projects? Are we changing the culture? It's, uh, yeah, getting the organization to agree that, yeah, we're trying to put a management system in the place. It's not like flipping a light switch. So I'm right, right. ongoing discussions at different levels of leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I'll say as well that I, I'm in HR. That's actually like the, the function I'm working in is the Six Sigma Black Belt. Um, but I'm not just in talent acquisition. So there's so many other functions within HR, learning and development, employee relations, compensation, benefits, all of these things that that we still there's a lot to touch. There's a lot to do, um, and, and it's kind of a give and take of do you stay with a particular discipline for a long period of time, trying to build out that flagship, trying to put in that lean management system, or do you try to go and demonstrate the value in this, trying to play that long game and saying we're going to come back to this, and now we're going to have you know all of this goodwill already accrued that we can leverage for, for lean management system. So, um, so some of the considerations that, that uh, I think about daily. Yeah. Um, so, so going back into, you know, some of the, the, the project and the case study, um, what else was learned about the current state? Um, and, and how did that then start working into um, countermeasures or improvements or, or whatever we, we might call it, kind of shifting from the way it was to the way it could be. Yeah. One, one of the things that jumps out to me that um, really wasn't even scrutinized at the time was um, the background check. So, you know, late in the game, very late in um, 
the, the talent acquisition process, you've got a candidate that you want, and then you submit to a background check. And these background checks checks can take, you know, up to three weeks, incredible amount of variation. Um, that was something that we identified uh, through our, our process that had never been considered before is, can we look at different vendors? Can we change um, how we're approaching this part of the process? So um, that was definitely something we took a look at. Um, other things learned was was really kind of buy-in, right? It is getting the managers involved because, as I mentioned, they they were more skeptical than anybody else, mm-hmm. uh, and the recruiters are are very very good uh, order takers in a good way. They they really look to their managers as as leaders. Um, so it was kind of understanding the dynamics, the leadership dynamics between um, the subject matter experts, the people who are going to be carrying out the changes, and the people who are going to be holding those cha- holding them accountable to those changes. So um, there was definitely a lot of uh, <laughs> um, you know jockeying for position and trying to figure out what's going to work uh, for whom. And, and so, how, how would you summarize you know kind of the the key before and after? difference in the process um, for this talent acquisition work? Yeah, from, from a metric perspective, the, the time to fill, the key performance indicator that we identified, that went down uh, significantly. So we you know, did, did the hypothesis test. We, we looked at a previous 180 days. We looked at the, the next 180 days, and we saw, I think, about 11% increase or decrease in the time to fill, the, the lead time. Uh, what we also saw is a decrease in variation, which to me was so much more important. It wasn't exactly something I identified uh, early on in the project, but you know, at the end of the day, time to uh, excuse me, talent acquisition is um, it's essentially a service role. We're, we're delivering a service to somebody else within the organization. If we can do that more consistently, and we can deliver a candidate, you know, the same time every time. That helps from planning perspectives. It helps the organization, I think, far more than just a simple lead time reduction. So uh, I was very, very, very happy to see that decrease of variation alongside the uh, the time to fill. And reducing time to fill flows through to other organizational benefits, whether that's easily quantifiable or not, in terms of right. not having positions open. What do those unfilled positions mean to everyone else trying to deliver value to the AAA customers. That, that's right. We're looking at um, a lot of metrics we're still trying to develop. There's a whole portion of my team that's uh, dedicated to kind of metric development data and whatnot. So we're looking at um, a cost to hire, um, a, a cost of vacancy. Uh, and of course, like you say, if we can shorten that lead time, we're going to shorten the resources we're using. We're going to shorten the um, the debit that we're we're taking for other parts of the organization. Yeah, and then one other thing that you touched on um, in the case study was kind of getting more into the realm of of management tools. Can you talk about um, the dashboard that was created and how absolutely, that- absolutely. So the dashboard was was really for that that middle managers that we kind of ran into difficulty with is as we're trying to change from this operate or from kind of this colloquialism management, I'm not really sure how they were managing to something that's much more accountable, something that's much more um, prescriptive. We essentially let them dictate what was important to them. 
what do you want to see? Do you want to see things by business lines? Do you want to see things by recruiters? Um, what metrics do you want to see? Time to approve, time to fill. Do you want to see how many recs each recruiter is working at any uh, one particular time? We essentially you know, pulled value from them, built a dashboard that was completely customized to them um, based off of some database reports that, that we got weekly. Uh, and then you know, essentially we were teaching them how to read charts and graphs. This is something um, that's also very different in the world of HR. Coming from manufacturing, you take for granted that that everybody can read a chart. You take for granted that everybody has a familiarity with data. Um, so a lot of the dashboards was kind of that visual management tool of teaching people trend analysis, teaching people to see um, what's important, looking at variation, and then I, I think probably the thing that I liked the most about the dashboard was this, this visual funnel of how candidates are falling out in each part of the process and, and different metrics along that part of the process, um, how long it takes to get to this point and that point and whatnot. And of course, uh, you can see those visualizations on the, on the case study as well. Yeah. So what were some of the lessons learned for you, Michael, as, uh, as a black belt from from this project or, or even more broadly about working in um, office settings, transactional processes, support departments like HR and recruitment? Yeah, I, I think um, the point I just made is uh, the demographics of people and their backgrounds and capabilities. It's all very different. You can't take that for granted, uh, particularly not, not just in HR, but particularly as you move into different functions within an organization. Um, you move to finance, they've got no problem with numbers and charts or whatnot. Um, you go into the call center or sales and distribution, they're going to have a whole different set of capabilities and things that they're familiar with. So being empathetic, being sensitive to what those those differences are, what those changes are, um, have been you know, pretty insightful to me. And then I might also add that really playing the long game, something that I learned a lot in these projects. Um, in in manufacturing, it's it's kind of freeing not to be in manufacturing. You have to deliver, uh, you know, you have to deliver a return on investment every single time. You've got so much cost, so much capital, so much fixed cost um, that all you're trying to do is reduce cost, reduce cost, reduce cost. That's the name of the game. Uh, you move over to the world of of an office setting. And maybe it's much, much more important to develop capabilities. It's more important to, uh, you know, get people thinking in a different way so that you can reap the the rewards of those labors later on. And that was a different dynamic that I, I really appreciated and enjoyed. Yeah. So um, when you talk about office settings and um, I'm guessing it looks like you're working from home like I am. That's right. Um, so, you know, the last, um, gosh, what, seven months or so, how has your work changed in a work from home COVID kind of, uh, environment? Yeah, the, um, it, it's changed in a lot of ways. Like, like I was mentioning, the facilitation is, uh, is very different from a project standpoint. Um, how we value stream map, you know, of course, is very different. I like doing the hands-on stuff where you get people really, you know, moving shapes around and, and trying to see how things are working. Um, and I've, I've had to develop some some different skills to that. Like I was mentioning, putting things in the wrong place on purpose. 
Um, getting people engaged uh, virtually is, is I think the name of the game, right? Is it's not just, okay, everybody can do a value stream map online. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is getting people engaged with the activity from a virtual space. Um, something else we've looked at is traditional lean training is almost always done in a workshop format. There's, there's all kinds of games that, that people do in a workshop format. If they're making paper airplanes or they're doing the red bead game or, or they're doing all these hands-on um, activities to demonstrate concepts within a lean framework or a Six Sigma framework. A lot of what I've been focusing on the past month or two has been trying to redevelop those efforts. What will this look like to still make things approachable, make things uh, approachable for the people in a virtual environment um, to still remain engaged. Uh, one of the things that we've identified is trying to throw out all of the jargon uh, of, of Lean and Six Sigma. I enjoy it, but not a lot of people, um, you know, it, it's, it's almost of the idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Somebody is going to spend eight hours on, on a camera looking at what you're doing. They're going to go into it saying, it's difficult, I'm not interested. And on slide two, you're gonna, you know, give them something called an Ishikawa diagram. You've lost them. <laughs> they're they're not gonna be paying attention for the next eight hours. Yeah. Um, so changing that slide deck, changing how you approach different concepts and and making it fun and engaging has has been one of the things I've been working on. Yeah. So there's the the, the training and education challenge, and then yeah. well, so then just diving into that a little bit more as a black belt is part of your role to. Um, train and help certify green belts? Still developing. So uh, still a very new organization. Yeah. It's something that, uh, you know, going back to the intake model, that's something that we're trying to develop within the framework of, of projects. So as people come in, we're teaching them fundamentals of lean. You've got to understand what the heck we're doing. Otherwise, the project's not going to work. So uh, talking about the eight ways, talking about uh, the value stream, top, talking about SIPOX and having them do the, these parts of the process. Um, I think that's phase one. And then phase two is going to be rolling out some sort of green belt. There's one other black belt within our organization as well. He's in a different department. And we've talked a little bit just briefly about putting together some sort of um, training for the whole enterprise. Mm -hmm. And then um, are, are you personally, Michael, working toward a master black belt or is that to be determined? Or? Um, that is uh, <laughs> very, very soon to be determined. I, that was the plan for 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of changing formats for, for training and learning and whatnot, um, you probably are familiar with Lawrence Tech University in, yeah. in, in Southfield. So they've got a master black belt program over there. Um, familiar with the director of continuing education over there, and we're in talks uh, about about doing some sort of master black belt training. So um, I'm also thinking back, um, boy, again, you know, our shared roots in Livonia. There's uh, one other person I know from um, Lean World. He's he's been uh, out in Maryland for a long time. Jeff Fuchs is okay. also from Livonia. If you ever see his name pop I'll up, to look in, him up any of the, uh, the literature. And he went to, I believe, uh, Livonia Bentley High School when that even, yeah, yeah. So that was a little before, um, a little before me. It's a rec center now. 
It was, yeah, it is. I, I would have gone to Bentley, but they closed that down a okay. year or two before um, before I went into high school. So um, we probably have a lot of um, listeners from the uh, Detroit area. I'm just going to throw one random question at you. What do you what do you prefer more, um, a Coney dog or a Bates hamburger? Oh man, that's uh, it's Bates hamburger all the way. I I love Coney dogs. Like um, I lived out of state for a while, and I missed Coney dogs all the time, but. Um, you know, every time I would go back home to my parents' place, I would stop in and get six sliders or something and give myself a stomach ache ache for a day or two. Yeah. So Bates uh, hamburgers all the way. Bates hamburgers is a local, it's it's equivalent to a White Castle. Yeah. Fair to say, in terms of the style of uh of said burgers. So yeah, there we go. Livonia, Michigan. Some hometown roots. One of the first things I think of there. Um school district that we uh, that we were both able to take advantage of right yeah that's great so um you know as we wrap up here are there any other um kind of recent lessons learned um that that you would want to pass on to the audience michael you know i i think about just kind of one of the last things i said that long game um i i think that's so important for people in in maybe what i'll call non-traditional spaces so even you, Mark, I think you're probably in more of a traditional space of lean um, now in in 2020, right? Is you've you've uh, <laughs> paved the way for a lot of healthcare um, operations and whatnot. Um, it's it's uh, been long, yeah. It's yeah, still it's, not quite the default, but it's less weird than it was 15 years ago. Right, right. And maybe you can testify to this too. Is is how important that long game is? Is you can't go in and just expect people to. Um, accept what you're doing without really, you know, paying the toll without really um, doing the upfront costs of educating that respect for people. Um, you know, one of the first pillars of lean is, is making sure people are on board. Um, I, I think it becomes critical, especially as you're um, doing a lean transformation from the, from the ground up. Because, you know, probably every single hospital I've worked with and every hospital other people have worked with, um, people teaching or coaching around lean have heard the statement, which is factually correct and undeniable, that patients are not cars. (laughs) Fair enough. Right. Right. Um, You know, but all of the products or even the idea of hiring people in the AAA, that's also not a quote unquote assembly line. Right. Those are not cars. But, but Lean and, and Six Sigma apply really across any type of work preaching the choir here between you right. and the audience, I think. But, you know, any, anywhere where we have uh, people and processes, we can find a way to apply these methods in a way that's helpful, um, you know, I think to all of the stakeholders. And I, I think it goes back to, um, I, I've been reading a lot of what I'll call the Lean Canon, kind of those those early works. It's not even about waste for me in lean. Everybody thinks of uh, lean as, uh, you know, identifying or removing waste. It's so much more about just identifying value. So, you know, okay, patients aren't cars. What does your operation do? (laughs) What are, why is somebody paying you uh, in in this organization? And once you identify what that value is, uh, I I think that's, you know, at least 70% of, of what you have to do to get, to get people on board. Yeah, that's well said. Um, from from the Lean Canon, what what's one of those that you've read most recently that stands out? I, I'm still getting through Gemba Kaizen right now. So um, 
have have read um, Lean Thinking, Out of the Crisis, The Goal. You know, um, you just had Tom Peters on. Uh, I've got um, I've got something sitting on my shelf over there in search of excellence. So, um, yeah, getting through Gemba Kaizen, um, it's it's not as dry as I thought it would be. Actually, it's it's pretty engaging. Yeah, very. Uh, Masaki Amai is still going strong, and um, up until I'm sure it's slowed down with the pandemic. But he was he was traveling the world, um, wow. dozens of countries a year. Yeah. Um, the last time I ran into him, maybe two or three years ago, and he's got a new book, I believe, that's still in the works. So um, excellent. But he's he's still going strong. And then I've I've got to ask as a follow up. Um, you mentioned out of the crisis. I think a lot of that that's that's a book I yeah. got exposed to thirty almost 30 years ago because of my dad. My dad was working at General Motors. He may be listening to this episode as he does sometimes. You know, but he had the opportunity to do the Deming workshop for four days and had a copy of Out of the Crisis at the house. How, how did that come onto your radar? Because that, that's a book I wish more people would read. Well, I, if you listen to this podcast, you know that Mark brings up Deming uh, just about every <laughs> podcast. Um, so I should have anticipated this question. It's... um. I don't know how it came up. I, I feel like that, that industrial engineering background, it's very tough to get very far in industrial engineering without talking about statistical process control. Um, I didn't, I don't think I had any, um, you know, quality engineering classes per se that brought up, um, Deming, but you know, he, he's certainly a figure in the field. So, um, anybody who spends just a little bit of time in the field quickly, you know, becomes familiar with, with, um, Deming and his work. So, um, it was probably within some Six Sigma training that that somebody said you should go read this book. Um, I, I think the book is fantastic. I mean, there, there's so many things that that he talks about. The red bead exercise. Um, I, I think there's also one where he's dropping marbles on, onto a target. On um, experiment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He 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 talks about the difference between um, you know the randomness of something being mechanical and, and true randomness. I, I mean, it's, it's dense. It's such a dense book and it's, it's really cool to see um, those management principles played out, you know, in, in all of these examples that he gives. It's, it's a fantastic text. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really important foundation. You know, Toyota people would say that, you know, Deming is the core of their management. And, and so you see that, that philosophy, a lot of what you read um, from, from Deming, I think, ends up being familiar to yeah. lean people. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, I can see that influence now. For sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Michael, it's been um, re really good getting to meet you. Uh, hometown That's right. connection. Um, I did not realize that in, until a couple of minutes before the interview. But um, thank you for sharing the case study. And I'll, I'll put out an invitation to others. I'll tell you, the, the biggest request that I've had over the last couple of years is to do more episodes that are sort of built around a case study and oh, you know, great. in other directions from that. Um, so thank you for, um, you know, kind of proposing that we do this, Michael, and I'll invite other listeners, if you've got a case study um, that you would want to share with me and explore and talk about here in the podcast, you can um, reach me, mark at leanblog.org would be a good email uh, for that. So again, our, our guest today, uh, Michael Parent, um, really good to meet you and, and thanks for being a guest. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org.
If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.